One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The talk right now on Twitter, I think that's going to be one of the top moments of both debates. I think when we look back <laughs> and say, what happened to Joe Biden's candidacy? That's going to be the moment where we all went. I mean, I was already there, let's be honest. But the moment where everybody was like, this isn't going to work. And it wasn't even the substance of that exchange as much as he was he was unable to handle it. And if you can't yeah. handle Kamala Harris attacking you, how are you going to handle Donald Trump attacking you? Mm-hmm. That, to me, is what made her such a standout. She looked like the one who would not be scared. Like, I dare him to give her a name. You know, like she you yeah. can just tell that she's not she is not going to crumble in the face of his meanness. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. We are wiping the sleep out of our eyes as we come to you to discuss the Democratic debates, first of all. Can we do these a little earlier in the day? I love you on the West Coast. It is tough here on the East Coast that we're doing these from 9 to 11, two nights in a row. But it's fine. We're here. We're going to talk about it. Before we do, we'd like to just remind you that our 2019 speaking calendar is full and 2020 is filling up. We would love to be in your community, your organization, on your college campus to talk about what we do. We could do a live podcast there, a workshop, a keynote. So if you would like to get us on your calendar, please email Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com and let her know so that we don't miss you in 2020. One of the best anecdotes to anxiety is gratitude. And I'm really trying to focus and channel that lesson the closer we get to 2020, particularly considering the news of the last few weeks, which has been upsetting and heartbreaking and most certainly anxiety producing. And so as we turn to the Democratic debate, I do want to say one thing that I don't want to speed past that I really want to take a moment to recognize that I am so proud 
as a Democrat, and I think everybody should be proud, no matter your party affiliation as Americans, to look at the diverse representation on those stages. It's so amazing to watch all these women, all these candidates of color, all these candidates from a wide variety of states and regions. And I just, I know there's a lot of them and I know it's easy to make jokes and roll our eyes and be overwhelmed. And I was most certainly overwhelmed at parts of these debates, but man, what a beautiful array of humanity up on those stages. I'll also say the content of the debates has been remarkably substantive. And I'm super grateful for that. When I think back to especially the late debates in the 2016 race, it had become such a playground joke, the way that candidates were speaking to one another, the way that issues weren't even pretended to be on the table. And I felt like I was watching people actually grapple with hard things. I don't always agree with their solutions. In fact, a lot of what I heard I found quite troubling. But we were having a real conversation, and I think that's so important. And so I applaud everybody involved for that. I think what's hard as we look at how the debates went and how everybody performed, that it often feels to me like we're looking at different indicators. So there's who was getting the most Twitter traffic? Who was having the most viral moment? Okay, well, who was appealing to the progressive left? Which answer was getting the base really fired up? What about fundraisers? What were they paying attention to? Who was increasing their name recognition? Who was getting Googled the most? Who was talking the most? What were they talking about the most? Like, what, who, in the general election, who's really appealing to the voters in that election? And it just feels like we're all talking about different metrics and different indicators. And so that really bothers me when I look at the takeaways and the winner and losers list, because I feel like we're all talking about different things. Do you think that there is a win-loss at this stage or that it's more, did you meet your campaign's objectives for this opportunity? I think there are losses. I'm not really sure if there's winners, I'll be honest. I think there is a way to lose these debates, especially if you're one of the lower polling candidates. I think there is a way to have tough moments or to not have any traction, not to get who you are or what you're trying to do across and lose the very finite amount of moments you're going to have to appeal to a national audience in the way you do with these national debates. So, yeah, I think there's a way to lose for sure. I'm not as convinced there's a way to really win. I mean, Hillary Clinton won all three debates. So uh, even the best moments can't produce electoral successes always. Well, let's talk about the first debate. And since you said that you thought there were some clear losers, let's identify who we think did not perform well in the first debate. I think that Tim Ryan and Tulsi Gabbard Tim Ryan definitely did badly in that I don't think he had any any good moments at all. I think Tulsi Gabbard and John Delaney had some good moments, but unfortunately overall were, I think, overshadowed by either their inability to break through or with John Delaney, there were a couple of moments where his his attempt, he had some really good moments early, but at the towards the end of the debate, he would try to break through and it was like awkward or he'd get stepped on. And so I think I think those three had rough nights. You know, I became so aware as I was watching this first debate that I am really ready for a new style in these forums. I don't think I fully understood how similar every politician I've seen in my lifetime has been until we had this contrast of voices that are not usually represented in this space. But Hearing from Julian Castro, for example, who I thought was super effective and also very aggressive, made me understand that he is aggressive in a different way than the way I'm used to seeing aggressiveness. And so by contrast, the way that de Blasio tried to insert himself into every conversation, some of what Jay Inslee did, as much as I like John Delaney, I agree with you that there were some really awkward moments when you're kind of elbowing your way in to get the the precious time, I understand a lot of people who want to talk and most of them aren't getting even five minutes of time in that two hour space. But it, I just I hated those moments. 
And I so respected the way Amy Klobuchar, by contrast, inserted herself. You know, it's not that the women and candidates of color on the stage weren't being commanding. It's just a different way. And it's a way that appealed to me. I think so much of it is by design. I really I understand why they didn't give opening statements, but I think it was the wrong choice. I think they needed just a moment, even if it was the 45 seconds they gave them from a closing statements, to introduce themselves because they're caught in this very tough moment where they both need to introduce themselves to a national audience, but also contrast themselves with the other people on stage, some of whom have much higher national profiles. And that is a very finely tuned skill, really, really, really difficult in the best of circumstances. And so I think it was it was too big of a lift to ask them to do. I wish they'd given them just 45 seconds or even better. Like, I wish they'd been like, okay, since this is the first time everybody's going to be meeting y'all, we'll give each of you like 30 second video like they do to the Olympic athletes. You know how you get the like, here's who these people really are. Like, I would have taken that. I would have loved like a mashup, even like at the, okay, I'm, I'm like building this in my head and I think it's a really good idea and they should have called me. Like at the Oscars where they do like a mashup of the best picture nominees, like if they've taken two minutes and said, here's a video mashup of all these people. I was the mayor of San Antonio. And like, that would have been really beautiful. And we could have kind of gotten an idea and feel. And so they wouldn't have felt so strongly that I better get my my background talking points across because it's always awkward. It's really difficult to do that in the moment. There were a couple of strange strategic decisions that the DNC and NBC, MSNBC made here because you're right. They they went right in to let's do policy. But they did that for whom? Because the short format where each candidate gets so little time doesn't get it done. It just frustrates those of us who've been following this very closely. And I would guess that most of the people watching are people who have followed this closely and who want to hear a deeper, longer answer. And so the format's frustrating for us. If you haven't been paying attention to this, how disorienting to jump right in because there are all kinds of people on that stage that you have no idea who they are or what they're about. And so the lack of introduction had to be frustrating for them, too. I think the way the moderators changed out, too, because the first half of the debate was Savannah Guthrie, Jose Diaz-Balart, and Lester Holt, who you would think would be sort of the softer entry point. Like, they would have been good people to say, let's get to know you. Mm -hmm. And then the second half was Chuck Todd and Rachel Maddow, and you would think, These are kind of the more serious political types at NBC who are going to get into even more focused questions. It went the exact opposite. I thought the questioning from the first set of moderators was much more intense and focused. And then Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd come out and they're like, so who thinks we should impeach the president? I mean, it was really strange and I think a missed opportunity to orient the audience and take us on more of a journey instead of plopping us in and then kind of feeling like we ran out of steam in the second half. You know what would have really helped that transition is if they turned the moderator's mics off before they transitioned to the new team. It was a rough spot It was an incredibly weird, awkward moment where you could hear their mics. You could hear somebody, I guess it was Savannah, asking for her binder. It was distracting. Like you couldn't figure out if it was somebody from the audience. They had to go to an early commercial break. It was really disruptive. And I agree. I was displeased with the second half of the debate. I don't think it went as well. I mean, there's a great graphic about not only who had the most minutes among the candidates, but ads in the moderator. And Chuck Todd is like the fourth person who talked the most. Not your job, dude. Not your job. Yeah, I did not think any aspect of this was particularly well moderated. I just wish that they would think more about these formats and give people more time. It's so strange. On cable news, you all do nothing on cable news except talk about this stuff all day. And yet the debate feels like we got to hurry. We've got a commercial break coming up. We only have two hours. There are 10 of you. How are we going to get it all in? Y'all just Mm -hmm. make it longer. You're making this up as we go along. The other graphic I saw that I thought was really insightful and really interesting to think through how it went was not just a breakdown of who talked the most, but what they talked about. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's this really great breakdown. So Cory Booker spoke the most. He got the most minutes. And his was more 
evenly divided. He spent about equal amounts of time on the economy, health care, immigration, and gun control, and climate. Well, no, he didn't have a lot of time on climate change. Elizabeth Warren spent way more time than anybody else on the economy, not surprising. She didn't speak at all during the immigration portion, whereas Julian Castro, who was really seen as winning the debate, his like half of his time was spent on immigration. It was that section that I think he really got to shine and speak and, and did a good job. But it's like really interesting. You get down to Delaney and a lot of his time is gray, which I guess is just filler or personal or transitions. And he didn't get to spend a lot of time on subsidence, substantive policy. It was just really the seeing it broken down, like not just who was talking the most, Chuck Todd, but what they were talking about, I found to be really illustrative. Yeah, how they use those minutes is is difficult. And this was just a good format for Cory Booker. He really knows this is where I think his skill of trying to make a moment works for him, because that's all a debate is really about is producing these little moments. And I think if he were being honest, Sarah, that he has in common with you that self-righteousness is his favorite emotion because mm-hmm. it, com- it comes across in a really effective way in this setting. So when we're looking at this breakdown... And we're looking at the time particularly spent on health care. Elizabeth Warren had a moment that everybody's talking about where she seemed to move a little bit left of her own policies and her own positions and say she is in favor of eliminating private health insurance. And everybody is all a buzz about it. Yeah, these are the moments when I'm listening, thinking I am struggling because I cannot vote for the president. But what is happening here? And I watched the conversation on Twitter and that's, you know, Twitter wants everybody to go as far left as humanly possible. (laughs) And it's not only like in favor of going really far left, but also everyone who's not there, you are out. Get out of my face. I'm mad at you. And I just I really struggle with this. But here's what I really liked about that moment and thinking about the way people talk about it. When she said that, and it was such a profound statement, like a strong statement. And she basically said, like, people just need the courage. It's not that they disagree with it, but they're afraid about the political consequences. And that's all the political analysis was. This is bad. She's going to lose. Like, there wasn't anybody saying this is the wrong decision policy-wise for X, Y, Z. It was all this is political, politically risky. And to me, that, especially if you're Elizabeth Warren and your narrative is, I do the research, even with gun control. She could have taken, when they asked her about gun control, she could have done what Cory Booker did and be self-righteous and get some applause lines, especially with the progressive left. But she said, we're going to treat this like a health crisis and we're going to research and figure out what will actually work. And so I think with the health care answer, and it's not no doubt that, that going far to the left in that way is an applause line. But I just wonder if she's gotten to the point where she says, Nobody can give me a good reason to keep private insurance with regard as far as policy wise. Like, it's not like anybody even I think from 2016 to 2020, you're going to see even more shift. It's not like people are like, I love my health insurance. I don't know anybody that feels like that. Like, I feel like everybody is frustrated, even people who have, quote unquote, good plans, like everyone's frustrated. And I think talking around it around the edges with regards to incremental change, never gets at the real problem, which is the cost is too high. The actual cost is too high. And so I get it, and I know why it's risky, and I understand the political analysis. But there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but can you give me a really good reason why we're all served keeping the system we all hate that that keeps healthcare expensive? Like, can anybody else give me a a good solution that gets at the cost, and also allows everyone to have all these choice. Now, I know you and I talk about eliminate employer-based health care, and I do think that gets close. But you still have to give the government involved. I mean, how are you going to get people to abandon employer-based health care unless you say, we're not going to do it this way anymore, and we're going to open up government-run markets? You know, I mean, I feel like if you're, if you're not getting too legalistic about it, the answer she gave could lead to that kind of solution. 
I'm going to give you a short snippet of why I so strongly disagree with you about this. I think that we are locked into the employer-sponsored healthcare system because government got too involved. And government decided that employers needed to be offering healthcare, and government incentivizes it and penalizes it when employers don't do it. And I just don't understand looking at the past four years in particular and thinking, you know what we really need? We need the federal government to have more control over our lives and more involvement in the decisions that affect us most intimately. The federal government that has so quickly been taken over by someone who believes that so few of us are real Americans deserving of respect. And so if you think about what would healthcare look like if we had a single payer system under a Trump administration, I think it's terrifying. So while I do not love private insurance and I think it is desperate for reform. And I do think government has a role to play in that reform. I cannot fathom thinking that a single payer system is the answer to that question, especially because we know that once the government gets involved in something at that level, changing it is incredibly difficult. So I agree with you that the gun control answer from Elizabeth Warren was one of her most effective moments. I think that answer is so common sense. Hey, everybody, let's study gun violence as a health issue. It clearly is one. Whether you believe that guns are the problem or mental health is the problem, can we look at a a lot of people dying from one cause that should be entirely preventable as a health problem and figure out what to do next. I think that was a really smart answer and a really good moment for her. I'd like to see those types of questions. That would be a helpful question to pick at some of the solutions the Democratic Party is presenting. If the moderator asked at the second round of debate, several of you support single payer system. What do you think a single-payer system would look like under a Trump administration? You set up a single-payer system and then we have a Republican president. What do you think that looks like for women's reproductive health? What do you think that means for choices with regards to care and availability? Like, that's a good question. That's what they should be asking. And fiscally, when we decide that we're having a moment when things need to be defunded, do we want that in the hands of our government as a healthcare system? I mean, a lot of people hated this question, but I did sort of like the Mitch McConnell question. I thought they spent too much time there, but I thought it was I don't like giving him all that power, but I do like acknowledging the reality of not everyone is going to agree. You guys are rolling out these really ambitious policies, some of which would fundamentally transform very large aspects of our economy and our societies. So how are you going to do that if not everybody agrees with you? I think that's a really good question. I don't think it's a good question because it's impossible to answer. There is no answer to that. Like, no answer that's going to suit anybody. That is not a a viral moment-making answer. Because there isn't one answer. It's going to depend on the legislation. It's going to depend on the senator you're dealing with. It's going to deal on the representative. It's going to deal on where the economy's at at that time. Are we facing any foreign relations challenges? Like, to say, how are you going to deal with Mitch McConnell is to say, how are you going to deal with any human being in your close personal working relationship? I don't know. Am I cranky? Are they cranky? Is anybody hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? I mean, like, it's just going to it's gonna really depend. And so it's not going to sum up neatly in a moment. And there's not a great answer, I don't think, unless you're looking for somebody to say, I'll get rid of the filibuster, but the president can't do that anyway. So that's what bugged me about it is I just think it's a trap because there's no good answer. But I love what you just went through because what you just said there about what else is going on in the world, what are the dynamics interpersonally? That is the right answer, and that is a question that's relevant to the job. You just showed us a lot about how you would act in this role as president, Sarah, and I would like to hear some of that. I know it doesn't make a viral moment. I know it's not a good applause line, but that's that's an interview question, right? That's saying, hey— If you're going to do this, tell us how you think and process issues, because the reality is no president goes into office and enacts 15 of the policy proposals that they rolled out as presidential candidates. You're not legislators. You're an executive. So let's talk a little bit about being an executive. Let me ask you this. At that point in an interview process, when you have 20 candidates, are you asking that depth of question? Absolutely. I don't think we're I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if we're there to how are you going to handle these really difficult positions? You know, I kind of got angry at the moderators because there seemed to be so much. How are you different? Are you mad at them about this? But I don't know. Maybe that's what we need when we have 20 freaking people. Yeah, I thought the efforts to put wedges in right out of the gate were pretty 
obvious and kind of annoying. Yeah, they were just clunky is what they were. You're going to do it. Do it better than you did. So conclusions from the first debate. Not well moderated. Not well designed. Not well designed. Not a good moment for Tim Ryan. We both agree on that. Gabbard, Delaney probably didn't do what they needed to do. Uh, We have not talked about Beto O'Rourke, who I think had a very bad evening. He did bad. He did bad. He needed to do very good, and he did very bad. (laughs) I don't know how to clean it up any more than that. Like, I think that Julian Castro was strategic and smart and said, there's only room for one young energetic Texas in this field, and it's going to be me, brother, (laughs) to distinguish himself on that particular issue. Because even I was saying the one thing I find appealing about Beto is that he can speak from personal experience about the border, about immigration, which is going to remain a hot-button topic. And he just... Castro just took his legs right out from underneath him, man. It was interesting to watch so many people running to be in the second tier. They didn't take Mm. shots at Elizabeth Warren, who was clearly the top tier person on the stage, or Biden or Sanders. They went at Beto, and I thought that was a really interesting and smart decision. It also had the advantage of not making people, not making male candidates look like they were beating up on a woman. And Mm. with that dynamic in the picture, I think Julian Castro was... A very surprising level of aggressiveness and targeted attacks on Beto that he was not prepared for. I think the other thing working against Beto is that he really wants to do exactly what Cory Booker wants to do, and Cory Booker's better at it. He just has more experience. I agree. I mean, you're starting to realize that he's great and he had a lot of appeal, and also he was running against Ted Cruz. I think that's I mean, I think that's right. Like, I don't think Beto is a bad person or even a bad candidate for something. But I he's he looked like an amateur Cory Booker on that stage last night, in my estimation. My major disappointment about how they treated sort of first tier, second tier, being that Elizabeth Warren was the only one polling in double digits is I really did want to hear her answer that immigration question. And I wish she pushed in and answered it before they decided to move on, because Apparently, she had just spent all day at a detention camp, and I just wanted to hear her perspective, and I was sad we missed it. So we've tackled night one. We're going to stay up late tomorrow, and after the break, you'll hear our thoughts that are hopefully moderately coherent (laughs) from Democratic Debate Night 2. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. 
looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We're here. It's late, but we're ready to talk about the second Democratic debate. Which we just finished watching about 10 Mm -hmm. seconds ago. Would you like to start from the bottom and work our way up or start from the top and work our way down (laughs) as far as performances go? I think we should start from the top and work our way down. Okay. So your top, we all know, if we were following along on Twitter, was Senator Harris. Do you think there's any objective dispute about that? I felt like last night there was not a clear winner of the debate, the first debate. And I feel like this debate she was just the obvious standout. Yeah, she created several moments. I am interested that you remain so like strongly supportive of of her and her performance because many, many, many of her moments were her saying, I'm going to take executive action. (laughs) I'm going to sign executive order. Well, I tried to kind of admit my bias about her. I am so fascinated by her presentation and so captivated by her and so impressed by the way that as a woman, she manages to be so authoritative and also warm at the same time and inviting you in. I just feel like she does what it feels impossible to do as a woman so many times that I struggle to even listen to the substance of what she's saying because I'm just so taken with her demeanor, which I think is substantive on its own. I 100% disagree with with anybody talking about constantly using the pen of the president to create law. And I'm troubled by how much that's a central part of what she seems to be advocating. But I just think that there wasn't anybody on that stage who came close to her in terms of showing up at a debate. I don't know. I don't dis- I don't necessarily agree with that because I think Mayor Pete's performance was really, really strong. And I don't think she was flawless. Like, I think she was nervous in a couple points. I thought her closing statement was not very good. I thought her answer to what's the first priority if you can only get one thing through was very good. Like, she kind of made a joke of Gillibrand's answer, which I didn't think was accurate and I just thought she should have taken that moment. But she also, I think, of both debates, created sort of the most viral moments. Like, I thought when she said, they don't want a food fight, they want us to see how we're going to put food on the table. Like, it sounded canned, but she still delivered it well. And I thought her busing moment with Biden, I mean, that is the talk right now on Twitter. I think that's going to be one of the top moments of both debates. I think when we look back <laughs> and say, what happened to Joe Biden's candidacy? That's going to be the moment where we all went. I mean, I was already there, let's be honest. But the moment where everybody was like, this isn't going to work. And it wasn't even the substance of that exchange as much as he was he was unable to handle it. And if you can't yeah. handle Kamala Harris attacking you, how are you going to handle Donald Trump attacking you? Mm-hmm. That, to me, is what made her such a standout. She looked like the one who would not be scared. Like, I dare him to give her a name, you know, like she you can just tell that she's not she is not going to crumble in the face of his meanness. She did a really good job of both going after Biden and going after Trump. Like she can definitely walk into chew gum at the same time. Plus, I just got to say, like, San Francisco politics is not a joke. You know, Mm -hmm. like what where she came up through 
California politics in general, but San Francisco specifically, like, and as a prosecutor, which, you know, people ask us, do we have problems with her as a being a prosecutor? No, I don't. I don't think it's disqualifying because you're a prosecutor. She didn't build the prosecutorial system. She just worked within it. And it is a flawed system. But, yeah, I thought she performed very strong. But I don't I, – I think Mayor Pete also had some really standout moments. I thought him calling out the religious hypocrisy of the religious right was really strong. I think when he gets to talk about his time in Afghanistan and talk about how he's the only person up there with military experience, I have not ever in national politics, honestly, maybe a couple times with Biden, with with Obama, oh Biden, with Obama. But when he said because I couldn't get it done, when they asked him about the problems in South Bend, like I've just never witnessed that sort of honest vulnerability to an answer. And I've been hungry for it for so long, particularly in national politics. I mean, I'll be thinking about that for a long time just to own it and say, and he didn't try to clean it up. It was just like, I could tell you all these other things, but it doesn't matter because I didn't get it done. I just, I was so impressed by that moment. I was hugely impressed by that moment too. And then I thought the judgment, the poor judgment of Hickenlooper oh and Swalwell to try to kick him on that, that was just Ugh. malpractice at every level. You could hear everybody go, Ugh. and I thought he was so smart to just look at him. Yeah, he was. You just sit there in your shameful contact. I'm not going to defend against your nasty comment, Swalwell. Like, I mean, I was, well, we're working our way down. I'm sorry, I'll stop on Swalwell yet, because that was gross. I will say, I think... Mayor Pete is the real deal. I think mm-hmm. that what he claims to be, he is. Yeah. And that he showed that in just leaning mm-hmm. right into that really difficult question. And I'm so happy to see that that's the case. Yeah. I thought he did fantastic. I really, really did. Who do you think did best after Mayor Pete? Gillibrand? I think Gillibrand is third. I think it was a tough night for her because she's just mm-hmm. had it. She has to be so frustrated. You know, yes. I think in a lot of ways, she probably felt like this was going to be her moment in her year. And she just hasn't been able to get the the Traction. oxygen that other people have. And so she fought for it. And we talked about this a little bit on Instagram. I'm surprised that I wasn't more annoyed by the way she fought for it because I don't like people who interrupt and kind of elbow their way in. But I felt like whenever she did that, she had something to say Mm -hmm. that was poignant and that needed to be said at that moment that it really wouldn't work to come back to. So I respected that. It wasn't trying to just rack up the minutes. And that's the thing about Booker last night. Like, I kept looking at the graphs and seeing how much he talked and thinking, I don't remember that much of what he said. Like, I just didn't feel like he was using all that time he was taking well. And I did feel for whatever time she fought for it, she did have to fight for it. She really took it. One of my favorite moments of hers is when she said, make no mistake, when the door is closed, they make these compromises on the back of women. I was like, you know what? I believe you. And she was like, people in both parties, in both parties, that's what they do. They get in the room and they're like, let's do reproductive rights. That'll make the right happy. And we don't really care if we give that up. Like, oh, God, she's so right. And so when she made that point, like, who do you really want to be in the room when the door is closed? Making these compromises. I just thought I love that moment so much. I thought that was great, too. And this is a fluffy comment from me, but I love that she chose not to wear a jacket. I think Mm. that there is something exceedingly political about her decision to just wear a dress. And I really appreciate it. I thought it was so strong and so unapologetic. And I just I long for a day when there are more women not wearing jackets on stages like that. Yeah, I thought she did. I mean, I did. I think she's still she seemed really nervous at point. She kind of stumbled over her words. And again, so did Kamala a few times. Everybody. Honestly, this is a big for, deal. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's high stakes and you could feel it. Right. I th- I feel like watching her, she's either going to fight, fight, fight and hit the right moment and surge to the top. But I still think she'll be here for a while. She's got a lot of fight. I just feel like that. And I think I don't know if she'll be able to hold out long enough to find her right spot because we just don't know what happened. That's another thing. Sorry not to go back to Mayor Pete. I loved it when he was like, we don't know who he's going to piss off between now and then. I thought that was a great answer, too. I thought that was great, too. And the fact that he delivers it without the sort of 
amped up anger that other candidates were trying to channel. Like every time Biden spoke or Michael Bennett, you could feel them trying to get that angry. And you could tell he is genuinely pissed off, but he's able to convey it in a very even kill thought. It's like a thoughtful anger. Yeah. I think some of what we talked about on our bonus episode about senators are not used to having to like battle on their feet like that. And maybe Kamala is so good at it because of her experience as a prosecutor. But I think Gillibrand suffering a little bit from that, from just not being that in that sort of think on your feet, respond quickly, not just pontificating as the senator. And I'm hoping as she gets more experience in the campaign trail and like in Iowa, New Hampshire, maybe we'll see her warm up a little bit in that in that type of performance. So the trouble from here, I think, is that I don't feel like there's a lot of separation after the top three. I mean, I will say that, I mean, if the lesser sin is being boring instead of offensive, then I would say Hickenlooper, maybe? Or Yang. I mean, I'm kind of pissed they didn't ask him more questions. I thought that was shitty. I did. Yeah, I don't mean to sound like a Trumpian, but I do think that you saw sort of establishment media steering away from non-establishment candidates in a way that is just disrespectful to the process, especially when there are very establishment candidates who didn't make it into the debates under the rules the DNC established. So the 20 people there, whether you think they belong there or not, you really ought to treat them with the same level of respect. And they did. And he hustled so hard. I mean, he, he was did. above Gillibrand in the ranking. He did. Like, I just I thought that was really disrespectful. And I didn't expect him. I mean, he could have thrown elbows and fought to get into some of the conversation like Marion Williamson did, I guess. But, you know, Americans supported him because they wanted to hear his perspective and they thought he they wanted to hear his perspective and let it be put some pressure on the establishment approaches. And I think it was a lost opportunity to not let that happen. I really do. I agree. And I think his perspective is interesting. Do I want him to Mm -hmm. be the president? No. But I do want to hear from him. And I do want to hear a different presentation mode even. I tweeted, and this was a little snarky, but, you know, I tweeted that he needs a PowerPoint. But I'm kind of, I'm here for that. It was interesting when Ross Perot did that. You know, Mm -hmm. when somebody with this totally different style comes to the party, it's it's interesting. It moves the conversation forward, especially this early. You know, this would have been a really good time to hear more from him. And I will say, I would put his performance above Marianne Williamson because the moments he had... He did the best with, whereas she, oh man, I just felt like she was flubbing left and right. Like every time they would give her a chance, I was so ready for her to take her moment. I don't know why she kept harping on plans. Like everybody was doing that, honestly. There was a lot of Elizabeth Warren side eye and her plans. Y'all jealous. I think Marianne Williamson's did not have the right team to prepare her for yes, this. Yes, I agree. Because I agree. when she said that we don't have a health care system, we have a sick care system, that is the kind of thing I want to hear from her, where mm-hmm. she says, let us step back and talk about what's what's underneath the, the thing. water, right, right. It's what's so the water good. But her team, I think, coached her into this, the plans aren't enough, we need to inspire people the way Donald Trump did, sort of. And it it just failed Epically, I feel like she was prepared by people who understand her too well. Yeah. She she really needs some people who with outside perspective if she's going to stay in this thing. And I don't know how she does after this performance, which makes me sad. I I think so much of her, but this was bad. It was bad. And I think you don't win with just the Twitter class, but you don't get very you don't get much further if they have open disdain for you. And honestly, the anti-vax stuff hurt her a lot. It did. Whether she needed more perspective or she was misquote, whatever, it was not handled well. It's not, it was, it's not a good look. And so now she's the worst, which is that they're treating her like a joke. And that's, that's awful. I hate that for her. I hate that too, because she is not a joke, Mm -mm. but she really needed a team of professionals Like, it's amazing that she got on that stage. Yeah. She needed a team of professionals worthy of making the most of that opportunity. Because 
when you are so on the margin, you can't afford to to drop Mm-mm. it like that. Mm-mm. So I guess next is either who'd you have next? Swalwell, Bernie? Well, so Bernie is just at the bottom of my list because I don't like being pointed at and shouted at. And I know that that's just a stylistic thing. I think if you're a Bernie person, you're probably happy, right? He just did what he does. And for me, I don't want I don't want to hear that anymore. And so, you know, I don't I I admit that I have a non nuanced perspective on Bernie. Everything about his presentation runs right through me. And I totally disagree with him on policy. And so on both accounts, I'm just when he talks, I find myself wishing I were at the dentist. But he also did. I thought he handled some of the tough questions badly. I thought he handled the gun control question badly. I thought he handled the diversity question badly. Like when it's you and Hillary and you could just go back to the same song, different verse, that's one thing. When you have people offering other progressive solutions and people aren't arguing with you about whether income inequality is the biggest challenge, like you're going to have to try something different. I just think he's like trying the same thing as 2016 and figuring it's going to work out. And I'm just not so sure. There's an undercurrent in what he and Biden did in response to some of those questions of, yeah, yeah, all this is cool, but it is really the older established dudes who can actually get things done. So have Mm -hmm. fun pretending everybody. But at the end of the day, you know, the way that Bernie's refrain was like, you need someone who can take on Wall Street. And Biden, you know, I'm the only one who's, who can do this. I mean, Biden Biden sounded like Trump a few times tonight, you know. Well, wait, are we done with Swalwell? Are we done beating him up? Because I really want to do Biden last. He was so bad. Yeah, we can beat Eric up a little bit more. I just wanted to say about Bernie that, like, I think there is something insidious a little bit in the way he mm-hmm. handles those diversity questions. There, there, there are lots of assumptions underneath yep. what he's saying. I don't think it's innocuous. No, it's gross. Here's the other. Okay, so Eric Swalwell. He, like, he had that pass the torch moment where he heard Biden say that. And it was good. And he should have stopped there. Like, he just comes off as so inauthentic, especially in contrast with, like, a Harris or a Buttigieg, where it's just so, like, that whole spiel, like, you know, I believe he cares about gun control, but his kids, too. He's not memorizing his outfit when he sends him to school. He's two. He's not in school. Like, I just, uh, it, it just can't, it's left such a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't like him before. I didn't like him before. And then I was, like, ready to be neutral after he went at Biden first and made that point of, like, come on, dude, you, you're supposed to pass the torch. And then he lost me. Because he was so tacky with Buttigieg and everything just felt so inauthentic. Unpopular opinion. I didn't like the pass the torch moment either. I thought Mm. it seemed disrespectful. And the phrase that kept coming to mind was like the ultimate insult whenever I wrote a brief that had a line like that in it as a young lawyer. And people would tell me I was being cute by half. And that's just what I see with Eric Squall. He's just cute by half. It's like this. It's too slick. And it. It lands poorly, and you can tell that there's so much ego underlying it when when you talk that way. And yeah, it's it's a it's a no from me for Eric. <laughs> it's a no for me. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Okay, so here's what I want to say about Biden. On the way home from dinner, as we were getting ready for the debate, my husband was like, hey, you don't have to hate Joe Biden. Like, I get it. I don't want him to be president. But he was good with Obama, and he was a good vice president, and he's a good Democrat. And you need to calm down a little bit about Joe Biden. And I was like, man... Is he right? Am I just, am I being a little, am I channeling some anger? Anger is a mask emotion. What am I really feeling? I was really trying to dig and think, be introspective and challenge myself about my strong, my big feelings about Joe Biden. But honestly, it doesn't even matter because he did so badly tonight. I can't even be mad. I just feel bad for him, and I'm kind of remembering the affection I used to have for him because it was so painfully bad. I thought it was awkward to watch, too. It just made me uncomfortable when he was speaking. Mm -hmm. It was incoherent a lot of the time. It felt so obvious that this this thing has run away from him. You know, Mm -hmm. it is just a different time. It is a different pace. It is a different level of intensity. And also that that makes him furious. Like, I just think he felt so disrespected and it it made him angrier as the debate went on. And it was just uncomfortable to watch. I felt like he. So, again, I said this on Twitter. So about mm, 15 minutes before the debate was over, some journalists on Twitter were leaking that his staff was already off the record going to journalists saying he ignored our advice, he didn't do debate prep. And that's, a first of all, when your staff is off the record bitching about you this early, it's a very, very bad sign. But second of all, like, I believe them. It just felt like he he said, I've been talking about this stuff for decades. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to do what I usually do. It'll be fine. But it was so incoherent like and it was incoherent i'm not trying to be nasty about how old he is i don't think it's incoherent because there's something wrong with him it's incoherent because he was trying to shoehorn 2012 answers into 2020 questions you know what i mean like he was just trying to shove them just make it fit make it fit make it fit even to the point where they were like what are you gonna do what's your first party when elected and he was like to beat donald trump okay friend 
That wasn't the question. Like, he just was trying to shoehorn what's worked for him in the past into these questions, and it was brutal. It kind of shows that you need to know when your moment has has Mm -hmm. come. And because he could have been such a respectable surrogate in this race. Yep. It's too bad. But now it's really bad. I think it's it's just it makes me sad for him. And like everything he said was just it felt so rehearsed. Even the stuff about his family felt rehearsed. Like that, it's like, he was like, well, I'll go to my one thing that always gets him. And it's not that I don't believe him, but it's just, I don't know. It was so unfortunate. So unfortunate. I think part of what made that moment with Senator Harris so devastatingly effective was that she almost had this tone like, I cannot believe you're making me do this, but I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. because you don't need to be here. And yep. I respect you and love lots of things about you, but but you're going to make me do it. And so I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And like you're a grown up. You made the choice. Yeah. Nobody made you be here. You chose to be on the stage. You chose to face these questions or you chose to ignore the people who clearly advised you that you would face these questions, which mm-hmm. I think is what happened. Oh, man. It was so bad. Whew. Okay. Anything else? <laughs> I think we've covered everybody. It was very intense. If you didn't it was watch way it, different than last night. I'll tell you that much. It was surprisingly intense. I think it goes to show how the framing of these debates matters enormously. Tremendous power is wielded by the setup of these things mm-hmm. because a couple of substitutions in people on either night and it would have been a completely different ballgame. Well, also, these people knew some of the questions that were coming, which right. was a little unfair. <laughs> right. And I they kind of knew what mistakes not to make. I think NBC should have learned from the first night more than they did, too. I would have made yeah. some some serious adjustments in the way the moderators. I mean, just to score the moderators for a second, I think Savannah Guthrie is by far the most effective of that group in this format, mm-hmm. which is surprising. But she should be the closer. Yeah. And she was trying to. And then Chuck Todd interrupted her and started babbling. And then Rachel Maddow made a joke about the audience. And she was kind of looking around like, I thought I was supposed to close this thing out. But you know why they're not going to make changes to the moderators? Those people already signed contracts and got paid for this business. They're not going to shift it around because it's not about the listeners. (laughs) Rachel Maddow, you could tell, was really offended. I think both Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd were really offended that they didn't have more control over both the audience and the candidates. Yeah. And sorry, guys, like, it's just a raucous time in American politics. I don't know why you think it's going to be any different for you. Yeah, I can't wait to see the the time counts on who spoke, especially I love I love it when they put the moderators in that. Whoever thought that up, please keep doing that. But this one was much, much more intense. And I can't wait to see how the combination will shake up next time. Okay, everybody. We have told you our thoughts in this hot take format because we are going to be off next week for the 4th of July. We're just taking the week off. We have some episodes for you, interviews that we've done before. We think they are delightful and will be great summer listening. We're going to take a little break and we're going to take a little break here and on Instagram and on Patreon. And we're going to come back super strong. And right out of the gate on Tuesday, you are going to hear from Governor Steve Bullock, who was not on the debate stage tonight, but is widely expected to be on the stage for the CNN debates coming up at the end of next month. So have a wonderful Fourth of July. Tune in for some great interviews and keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Cherry Haas, Tim Miller, 
David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.